0: Good morning, everyone. We are in a series on Daniel where we're talking about what it means to live fearless in a fearful culture. And we're continuing on into chapter 3 where we pick up the story with our three friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they are presented with this cultural dilemma in which they are forced to have to make a decision that compromises their faith and their trust in God. So I want to talk this morning about what does it look like to stand in the midst of a culture that's telling us to bow. And the truth is is that God has called us to stand firm, and we see that all throughout Scripture. And I believe that we may encounter, if we have not yet encountered, circumstances where culture may cause us to decide that we may be brought into an ultimatum where we are to choose who we will worship or what we will worship. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor in the midst of the Holocaust, and he preached until he came to the point at which he steps off the platform and they arrest him for his faith. His last statement that he made was, my end is coming and my new life is coming. Tell my family that. Now, a lot of us hear that and hear the story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and we think to ourselves, yeah, but that was a very different time. That, that would never happen today. But the truth is, is that for many of us, we're used to re- we used to remember a time not all that long ago where there was this blending of Christianity and our culture. And I think it goes without saying, that just simply doesn't exist anymore. And so we see a time where these three men, where they refuse to privatize their faith, even in the midst of lethal consequences. See, the king, he didn't care what was, he didn't care when they changed their diet in private, but he does care what they do in public, and he gives them consequences to that. Now, if there are two stories in all of Scripture that are, legitimate flannel board stories. The first one has got to be Daniel and the lion's den. I remember it as a kid and seeing Daniel there and and all these lions around it, and it just painted this picture of God's faithfulness and, and, and protection of Daniel in the midst of that. But the second one is also found in Daniel, and that is the story of the fiery furnace. Now, if you don't know what a flannel board is, then you're not doing life right, first of all. Uh, but secondly, the reality is, is that a flannel board with the images brings the story to life. And I this is how I got my Bible stories growing up through the church and, uh, and experiencing it. And so... Uh, the challenge, or maybe the warning for us, though, is if we are not careful, what we will do is we will see these stories put up on a flannel board, and we'll see them almost as fairy tales, and we'll, we'll miss out on the significance of how they can help us navigate our culture. But I want us to begin, and I've got my flannel board here, and I've got my, my flannel pieces here, and we're going to just go through the story, and we're going to go through the scripture, and illustrate it with a flannel board. I thought that'd be fun today. But it starts out in verse one of chapter three. If you're following along with us on the screen, great. If you want to, you can click. If you're watching on the website, you can click on the Bible link and follow along with us uh, in the Bible. Or if you want to get your own digital device out and follow along with us as well. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image. He made an image I don't think it probably looked like that. This looks more like an Oscar. But he made an image. And I wanna just, I'm not gonna do this through all of the scripture, otherwise this message will be way too long. But but I wanna just stop for a second and recognize that 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 word image is used on multiple occasion. Not Not just the word image, but also sound. Image and sound. And can I just say, always guard what you hear and what you see. Because I believe the enemy will, will sneak his message into things that we think are innocent. We can say things like, well, I know this song mocks God, but it's just an innocent song. It's just a song. M- maybe the better way to approach this uh, point is this. is that, Let me ask you this question. Have you ever, have you ever pledged to something? You didn't know what you were pledging allegiance to. Have you ever pledged to something that you didn't know what you were pledging allegiance to? Or maybe the better question for that is, how many of you have ever checked the box of terms and agreement without reading them? Oh, now you have. Right? You, you've checked the box, you, you see the terms and agreement, and you just scroll, 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 and you check the box and you move on. And so one day, you're going to go to pick up your groceries at HEB, and some 17-year-old kid's going to come out with your groceries. He's going to come up to your car. He's going to load them in, and then he's going to ask you to hand over the keys to your car. And you're going to be like, I'm not going to give you the keys to my car. And he's going to say, but you checked the box on curbside to go. See, oftentimes we, we pledge allegiance. We check the box on things that we don't even realize what we're checking the box on. We think it's not that big of a deal, but in actuality, it might be a pretty big deal. So, King Nebuchadnezzar builds this image of gold. And it says that it's 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide, and he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And then he summarizes all of the important people, the satraps, the prefects, the governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, all of these really important officials, to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So all of those same people, they assemble for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. You must wear a mat. No, no, he didn't say that. He said, as soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither. Everybody knows what a zither is, right? No, nobody knows what a zither is. Uh, but I'm, I'm quite certain I would be good at playing it. But zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music. And he says, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will be immediately thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and they worshiped the image of gold. So we're going to put the image here. I'm going to put the peoples here. These are all the important peoples who are falling down and worshiping this image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But, there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I don't really know if this one's Shadrach and this one's me. I don't know, but it's them. It's them. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, and they're not paying any attention to you. And so the king is angry about this. He's mad. And, and, they, and the, the officials are saying they're, they're, not, they're not going to bow down to this God that you've put up. They don't serve your gods. They don't worship the image of gold that you've set up. And so what you've got is you've got these three guys who are saying, listen, we're not bowing. We're not going to bow to this image. And I would just pause for a second and say to all of us that the reality is is you are bowing to something. In this life, we are bowing to something, and it's really, really important that we bow to the right thing. I think we have to be careful with what we're giving our time and our attention, our, our, our attention and our resources to. What, what we worship is very important. The truth is, is that we live in a in a pluralistic society where, in order to assimilate into our culture, it seems as though we must. Privatize our faith to keep our faith a secret. Most people that drive by wilderness, uh, or that drive by on Wilderness Oak, and they look at our campus here. They don't go. I wonder what they're doing in there. See, mo- most people don't care what we do in here, but they do care what we do out there. And so Nebuchadnezzar responds the same way in which the world reacts when it gets upset with how we respond out there. He gets furious. See, we live in such a toxic culture now that it's not just uh, I can agree to disagree. No, it's if I don't agree with you or if you don't agree with me, there's hate involved. If I don't agree with you, there's some who take the approach that they hate those people. And so King Nebuchadnezzar it goes on to say that he was furious with rage. Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? See, I'm convinced that the church will be put in positions that we are ill-equipped to handle. That there will be times in which we are given these these opportunities to speak truth and to stand for what's right, and we will be ill-equipped to handle it. King Nebuchadnezzar says to the three men, he says, Now, listen, when you hear the sound of the horn and the flute and all of the instruments, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, then very good. He says, But if you're not... If you're, if you're not going to worship it, then you're going to be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. He says, then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? And that's what culture tries to do. Culture tries to intimidate us and threaten us with consequences. But the last time I checked, there's this passage of Scripture that says, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And so what I want to talk about today is I want to talk about what it means to take a stand. The first thing is this, is that standing firm, it takes courage. We will be faced with a, a time and an experience where we will have to worship something that we don't believe in. In the case of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in verse 16, it says that they replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we're not worried about what will happen to us. And I would like to submit that this doesn't mean that they weren't afraid. They knew how bad that furnace was. They knew that King Nebuchadnezzar was, uh, was a man of his word. They knew that this wasn't some empty threat, but there was something that came up inside of them, something that welled up, that honestly, I don't think we see a lot of anymore. And hopefully, we don't need this message anytime soon, but the reality is, is I think that we will. See, where we are going to, to have to, have something that we will need to be stirred up inside of us in order for us to find this courage to be able to stand for what's right and to stand for truth. That there's something that will be stirred inside of us where we're going to stand even when culture says there's consequences if you don't. You could say it like this, that courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is actually standing firm in spite of my fear. And so we've been thrust into a world, into a culture where we almost have to choose. like it, it, We have to choose who we are. It, it calls us to this certain identity crisis that Who we are first and foremost is having to be established and prioritized. When you read the scripture in the New Testament in particular, it says that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will endure forever and ever. I just want to remind us that the Bible, as difficult as this may be to hear, the Bible doesn't promise that he will... that he will protect our standard of living. The Bible doesn't promise that our our country will be the most powerful in the world. The the Bible doesn't promise that, that we will avoid persecution. In fact, the Bible doesn't really pay any attention to the fortunes of any country other than Israel and the covenant purpose for that nation. God doesn't have a preferred language or ethnicity. Those are things that we concern ourselves with. But what seems to be working in the Bible is that the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the the waters cover the seas. That that the the knowledge of God will cover the earth. That's God's concern. And and I'm praying that God will use us as a church to, to help in that process See, our identity is first and foremost that I am called to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. If you've ever been in my office, you'll know that uh, I have an album of Keith Green hanging on my wall, and it's the album cover where he's pointing up and Some of you probably don't even know who Keith Green is, but he's basically the Bob Dylan of Christian music, in in my opinion, and he's a storyteller in, in music, and he died in a plane crash when he was really young, super, super sad, but his second album, which I have not gotten a hold of yet, is called No Compromise, and there's going to be a picture of it on the screen, and in this picture is a depiction of this story. Of a bunch of people bowing down to an idol and and one who's saying, I'm not going to bow. And Keith shared at one of his concerts that someone asked him, he, he said, everyone is looking at you and saying, why don't you bow down? And Keith's response to them was, the real question is, why are you bowing down? See, there could be those defining times in our life where we have to answer that question. I think the older that I get, the, the more I'm beginning to have a different perspective on this. This last week, I was reminded during the Zoom Q&A, which we have coming up tomorrow as well, during the Zoom Q&A where my dad reminded me of not that long ago the Coptic Christians in Uh, getting beheaded because they wouldn't deny the cross. And although that may seem a bit extreme in our current context, we may not feel as though we are at that point in this culture. The reality is, is that every day we have these little opportunities where we're going to bow and we're going to trust or we're going to reveal that my life is in the hands of the angry king or we're going to reveal that my life is actually in the hands of a sovereign, loving God. See, but if we don't bow and we don't conform, it may cost us. There may be consequences. It may not cost us our life, but in some cases it could cost us our job. It could cost friends or family. It it could cost us a promotion at work. What we will see is that when we take a step of courage... Great things happen, but they may happen at a cost. And the second thing that we see in this story is that although standing firm takes courage, standing firm also takes faith. It goes on in the scripture in chapter 3 and verse 17 it says, If we are thrown into the flaming furnace, our God is able to deliver us, and he will deliver us out of your hand, your majesty. But if he doesn't, please understand, sir, that even then we will never, under any circumstances, serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have erected. In other words, if you are a Christian, you are in a win-win situation. Second Thessalonians reminds us that may God uh, or my God will rescue." Uh, my God will rescue me from every evil attack and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. And it's like, okay, well, my God will save me from every evil attack or he will bring me into his heavenly kingdom. Well, which one is it? God, are you going to save me or are you going to bring me into heaven? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Paul says it like this. If I, if I live, then I get to serve Christ. But if I die, it's gain. It's gain. It goes on in the scripture and it says, "But if he doesn't, please understand, sir, that even then we will never under any circumstances, serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you've erected." It's been said that a faith that is tested is a faith that can be trusted. That courage takes faith because faith is focused not on what you are against. Faith is about what you are standing for. And if we don't stand for something, we will bow for anything. And I'm not one who hates culture, who, who hates all the secularism. I don't hate political parties. I don't hate people that think differently, differently than me. But I do know this, I love God. And that's what I'm standing for. And so now Nebuchadnezzar responds just as our culture does. Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter. Seven times hotter. That's hot and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And as they tie him up and they take these three into the furnace, into the blazing furnace, these men, wearing their robes, Their trousers, their turbans, and other clothes were bound. They were thrown into the blazing furnace. And the king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so hot that the flames of fire killed the soldiers. They're dead. (laughs) It kills the soldiers who were throwing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement. I don't know what that looks like because if you can see, he doesn't have feet. But he leaped to his feet with amazement. And he asked his, his advisors, weren't there three men that were tied up and thrown into the fire? And they replied, well, yeah, certainly, your majesty, as if they were going to ever disagree with him. But he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like... Jesus it looks like the son of the gods it, It's what is called in theology a theophany that he sees this this person that is not the three that he put into the fire Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and he shouts to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of all of a sudden, he's got a new religion, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out of the fire and the satraps and all of the important people crowded around them and they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies. Listen, when we take a stand in culture... We don't have to get out of the culture. We can be right in the middle of it and not have a hair on our head be singed. It says that not a hair on their head was singed. Their robes were not scorched and there was no smell of fire on them. We can still be in the midst of culture and not smell like it. Which leads me to point number three, that standing firm inspires it inspires others see you you think that they'll hate you for it you think that people will respond negative negatively towards you because you stand firm but the reality is they'll actually love you for it dads you your kids will appreciate it when you pray for them You can go into your workplace and you can minister to people as a representative of God everywhere you go. And I think there's a perception that people will actually hate us for it. And I'm not talking about being weird. I'm not talking about being so, you know, off the wall that people are like, I don't even know what you're talking about. But when was the last time that you had the opportunity with a neighbor to just say, hey, can I pray for you about that? Check this out. I love these next verses. It says, in verse twenty eight says, Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to God to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who had, has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command, and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. He says, Therefore I decree Now listen. He's, he's now wanting to worship the one true God. And he says, therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, cut them into pieces, right? So he's, he's saved, but he's got a little work to do. He needs a little freedom prayer here. So he, he, he says, cut them into pieces, go to their houses, turn their houses into piles of rubble, for no other God can save in this way. And then the king promotes Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. These guys basically got a promotion, corner office. They, they, were, they were lifted up in their positions. And God has not only called us as, as a church to be a voice. We're to be so much more than that. We're to be a mission, to be on mission. That every person has a purpose. Every person has a plan that God has uniquely orchestrated for you. It's why we offer unique as a a course for for all of our church. Because you are a unique piece of God's puzzle. And even if you don't see it yourself. Even if you don't see yourself as a leader in the traditional sense. You are a leader. Be who God has called you to be. I want to end with kind of this thought. Of the day, it's kind of the key to all of this is that standing in the midst, that when we stand in the midst of a culture that bows, it's that we are standing for something, not against something. That we would be a people, we would be a church with something to live for, not something to live against. I want us to be a people who actually are living and standing for something for God, for who he is and what he's done for us. There's lots of things that we can stand for. Let me just give you three quick things that we can stand for and then we'll be done. Number one, we can stand in prayer. We can stand in prayer. I think in some ways religion has probably hijacked our prayer. I, I, I'm in the camp where I would say that prayer is a part of my quiet time. And maybe that's my problem. Maybe it's too quiet. You can say, well, yeah, but doesn't it say be still and know that I am God? Yes, it does say be still and know that I am God. But it doesn't say be quiet and know that I'm God. Maybe it should just stop walking around all the time. Right? Be, be loud and know that he's God. Prayer isn't this passive thing. In fact, Jay and Andrea have been sharing with us through the Bible study as they're going through Ephesians in the armor of God. Ephesians Ephesians 6.11 says, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. In verse 13 and 14, it says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then. So important for us to understand that this can be a dynamic part of our day, not a passive part of our day. So stand up in prayer. Number two, stand for my purpose. All of hell is trying to keep you from doing and becoming everything that God intended you to become. The enemy has, has talked you out of doing. Some sort of ministry thing or some opportunity because you believe the lie that you're not worthy. And that's why we stand up for who God says we are, not who the enemy tries to convince us we are. I could give you a lot of different verses on this, but one is 1 Corinthians 15, 58. It says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And number three, stand for God. And you know why? You know why we should stand for God? Because he stood for us. Think about it. He he put his life on the line. Jesus put his very life on the line. And I, I would just this morning say to all of us that I am proud of being a Christian. I love Jesus. I am, I am for God in my life. I'm proud of the Bible. And I, I think we have to be willing to take that stand. The Bible says that if you acknowledge me in front of people, then I will acknowledge you before my Father. But if you deny me before people, I will deny you before my Father. The message paraphrase says it like this in in Matthew 10.32. It says, stand up for me against the world's opinion and I'll stand up for you before my Father in heaven. And so we are living in a culture where culture would try to dictate to us to back away and privatize our faith. And I would say, it's time for us to stand not against culture, but to stand for God, to stand for truth, to stand for who." He says that we are. Colossians 3.1 says that where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. I want to leave you with this idea that Jesus isn't standing right now. He's sitting. And we see that in Scripture, that all throughout Scripture we see him sitting at the right hand of God. And my question is, is why isn't he standing? The truth is, is that there was one time where we know that he did stand. There's this guy named Stephen, and he's the first martyr, the first Christian martyr. He, he wouldn't stop preaching, and he was the first person to lose his life for Christianity. And, and as they were stoning him, he's tied up to a pole, and, and that's how they did it. As, as they were stoning him, it says in Acts chapter 7, But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven, and he saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. See, Jesus does stand on some occasion. Jesus stands when you and I stand. When I stand, Jesus stands with me. I want us to end with that picture in our mind that it's going to take courage and grace. It's going to take faith to step out and to stand for the truth. And can we be a people that stands? Let's pray.